here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content's added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. there and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. We'll be kicking off today's episode with our usual Books with Hooks segment, after which we'll go to today's guest. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. We are now past the five season mark. I think we actually reached it last week, but I forgot to celebrate it. So woohoo, here we are all celebrating. Right, so thank you so much for your ongoing support. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you to those of you who have contributed towards our Kofi initiative. That's helping keeping the wheels turning. So thank you for that as well. 
Right, let's dive into today's Books with Hooks segment. Carly, would you like to begin reading the first query letter for us? Here we go. Dear Carly and Cecilia, I was thrilled to see you represent Christina McDonald as my domestic suspense combines themes of a lethal game of cat and mouse like Do No Harm and the heartbreaking grief of In the Night Olivia Fell. One mistake can ruin your life. Freya Thorne was running, running from the pain of losing her daughter and running to escape a crumbling marriage. Desperate to keep a past affair hidden, she is rebuilding her life. When she finds a woman's body on the beach, Freya recognizes similarities to her daughter's death. Coincidences are hard to prove but she's determined to try. Then mysterious letters arrive, threatening to expose her affair if she doesn't stop digging. It becomes clear this stalker knows more about Freya than she would like. While her neighbor Trisha is sympathetic and eager to help, Freya wonders if the same can be said for her own husband. Jack hasn't been telling the whole truth and is keeping secrets of his own. As the letters escalate into something more sinister, Freya realizes she and her stalker are converging in unpredictable ways. Her plan to protect her marriage has instead put it, and ultimately her life, in jeopardy. No matter how far she runs, Freya cannot escape a betrayal so shocking it will change everything she thought she knew. No good lie is complete at 87,000 words. It would sit nicely on a shelf next to The Fear by C.L. Taylor and The Ex-Boyfriend by Rona Halsall. The novel draws on my experience working with victims of domestic violence and helping women to survive the aftermath of abuse. I am a member of Sisters in Crime, International Thriller Writers, Southwest Writers, and Police Citizens Academy alumni. Thank you for your consideration. With best wishes, Claire. Wonderful. Thanks, Carly. Right, Cece, so what did you think of that query letter? I will start off by saying that this very lovely writer included my name out of politeness. Clearly, she meant to write this query letter to Carly because she mentions Carly's client. So thank you for that. That was very sweet. I really enjoyed the query letter. I had notes on the plot paragraph. She starts off by saying that Freya is running. And I took that to mean metaphorically running, not like literally running on the beach. But then she says she's running to escape a crumbling marriage. But then in the next paragraph, she mentions that someone threatened to expose her affair. And I'm wondering, why do you care if you want to escape your marriage? And then there's another line that mentions she wants to protect her marriage. Um, Her plan to protect her marriage has instead put it. And I'm like, I don't understand. So I was confused. And it's possible it's just me because my brain does this weird thing where I overthink things. So it's it's entirely possible. It's just on me. I wanted to know what was at stake for this character other than finding out the truth about her daughter's death, which is a huge, huge, huge thing because closure is very important. But I'm thinking, you know, because you do use words like stalker and, you know, there is a murder or at least, you know, you think there's a murder going on. I'm wondering, like, is your life in danger? Because I think it probably is. And then I just want to know more. I want to know more about like the world that's going to crumble around her. I think that's something that we've chatted about in the podcast a few times. The fact that when we're reading a book that's about solving a crime or even like a a cold case, it's really important to show the ramifications and the ripple effects and how it affects everyone around them in very specific ways. So that doesn't need to go in the query letter, so I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But I enjoyed this and I thought it was really well written. Thanks, Cece. Okay, Carly, now you get to tell us how weird Cece's brain is. Did you overthink things or was there similar confusion with you? There was similar confusion. Yeah, I would say I think the running metaphor was just maybe we're forcing the running metaphor a little bit too much. And in a query, I don't think you to shoehorn anything like that. I think that just stick to the facts. This book seems very interesting, right? So I don't think we need to like shoehorn a metaphor on top of this. I, I think we could probably just dial that down and just think about how to be as straightforward as possible. 
I really like the tagline in italics. It says, one mistake can ruin your life. In the thriller genre, this is very common to have these taglines in copy, you know, on the book cover even sometimes. So I thought that was great. I would have reworded the next paragraph to, instead of saying like running from the pain of losing her daughter and running to escape a crumbling marriage, I would move that to after like, when she finds a woman's body on the beach. Like start with Freya Thorne is running and finds a woman's body on the beach. And then take that running from the pain sentence and move that to the end of that paragraph. Let's just start with the drama here because that's what everybody wants to know. But other than that, I really liked it. I mean, I think that we have a lot of interesting things happening. I think it's just, yeah, I think the running metaphor was just trying a little hard. That's all. And just for the rest of our listeners, in terms of the affiliations and the memberships she mentions at the end, how important are things like that for emerging writers? For you especially, how much value do you think they get out of that? Personally, I know that people in the querying process in the slush pile don't have a lot to say because they're debut authors, right? I assume everybody's a debut author. So this just gives them something to put in that in that bio paragraph, which I think is great. I also think, and I say this, you know, whenever I do a talk on this topic, I also think it is 100% okay just to say I am a debut author, just to spell it out. There's nothing embarrassing about that or wrong about that. Like you're in the slush pile. Tell me you're a debut author. Like it basically tells me that, but you can just confirm that. But if you have things to say, like your organizations, I think that's perfect. So I would put that in if you have nothing, again, if you have nothing else to say, that's a great thing to put in there. Wonderful. Okay, Cece, what did you think of those opening pages? These pages are really strong. I'll give you my impressions as I read through them. So for the listener, the first line says, I get texts all the time, but nothing like these. And then we see two texts that she got in there. Kind of strange, eerie, sinister texts. So she uses italics to show the text message. And I always recommend using a different font, not a weird font by any means, just a different font from the font you're using instead of italics. Because a lot of the times we'll use italics to like denote thought or even like to place emphasis on a word. And I know it's a really, really small thing, but I mean, A, these pages are really wonderful. So I don't have a lot to critique, but also B, readability matters. So that's a small advice that I think could go a long way into making your pages even stronger. So what I tell my students for that is there's a great font called Lucinda Sands Unicode. And that looks kind of like text messages and most people have it on their word. So it's not like if you send it to an agent, it's going to be a weird font that reverts to something strange on their screen. So that's a good one to use for text messages. Yeah. And now if I get pages with that font for text, I'll know they were listening. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. So yeah, there's the next page. I thought that when she called 999 and said, hurry, please hurry. I thought that she could tell the person on the other end of the line, I just found a dead body. She doesn't say this. And she also doesn't tell us through narration that it's a dead body. And it's obviously, we, we understand that it's a dead body quite quickly and that's fine. But I do think that in dialogue, it would be natural and it wouldn't be info dumpy to say it. So minor note that I would just add that again, not a big deal. I understood. There's so many great lines. Like the emotionality here is six stars out of five. There's lines where she mentions she wanted to cover the body with her hoodie. If I were lying here, I'd want someone to do the same. There's another line where she says, how do you describe a ghost following you one minute and standing on the cliffs the next? It's just, again, six stars out of five for, for emotionality. It's very, very well done. Another great thing this author did, and yeah, this is going to be just a whole bunch of compliments, but there's a paragraph that starts with two years ago, a fisherman found a woman's body. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to take us on a flashback. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. She didn't. 
It wasn't a flashback. She very quickly offered context without taking us on a flashback. And I just thought it was really, really well done. The siren, the police arrives right away. So we're still on, we're still in scene. It's incredible. Like I mentioned in the query letter, my one note for her would be, and this is something that I think is like the third episode where we've mentioned this, but I want to know more about her life her life beyond her daughter's death and beyond finding this body. Otherwise, A, it's too neat and tidy. Her daughter was murdered. She she has strange texts. She finds a dead body. It's too linear and it's not as realistic enough, but also not as tense enough. It's the pressure cooker advice we talk about. So I think insert stuff about her job, her friends, another conflict that's happening in her life, another pressure that's coming from another direction. And this is like an interruption of that. It's just more stuff that's piling onto this poor protagonist. Make her suffer a little bit more is what I'm saying, because apparently I'm a sadist. Okay. Those are my notes. Awesome. Thanks, Cece. Carly, what did you think? So I actually carry some of my concerns from the query letter into the pages. Like I was confused in the query letter, I was kind of confused a little bit by these pages because we're getting texts and then she goes for a run and then finds a dead body. Like I kind of felt like it was a little bit contrived and leading a little bit of where we wanted to go. And I agree with Cece, there's some beautiful lines. That hoodie thing just like grabbed me right by my heart. But I, I was a little bit confused. I was like wondering if she's getting these texts before she even finds this dead body, then like, where's this book even going? Because the sinister stuff has to keep going really fast. I also thought that we should have found the dead body faster. I thought that was something that would have helped me personally. And I also thought our our sample here ends on a cliffhanger, which is great, by the way. But our our, our sample um, ends with, there was a bone deep gash on her forehead and a red ribbon tied to her wrist. And I thought, well, you already said that your daughter had a, there's a similarities between this woman with a, if I'm reading this correctly, a red ribbon on this woman's wrist and a a red ribbon on your daughter's wrist. And so wouldn't that be the first thing you see? Like if I saw, I don't know, if I saw a dead body knowing that my daughter was murdered and I saw a red ribbon, like I just feel like those images or something would have been so ingrained that the first thing I would have thought of was this red ribbon. So I was really confused by why we didn't learn about the red ribbon link until the end. So again, it felt like, feeling a little contrived for me. I feel like this is very interesting. I just felt like, like I was getting led a little bit too strongly by the author and I would have just wanted this to be a little bit more organic. So yeah, maybe this is just a case of not a book for me. I agree with Carly's take. I think that I'm not typically a psychological thriller reader. I enjoy them very much and I do read them, but I'm not someone who pays attention to like how the crime is going to be solved. I'm just generally more connected to character and to emotion. It's a totally fair criticism though. I would have kept on reading personally because I did think that the emotions were there and typically where there's emotion, I just I just kind of go with it just for a little bit longer. Cece, would you like to read the second query letter for us? Go. Dear Carly and Cecilia. Words Will Bleed is a 51,000-word contemporary adult fiction novel that dives deep into passion, dysfunctional families, and the power of voice. From the first-person point of view, readers who enjoyed The Honesty and Music in High Fidelity by Nick Hornby will appreciate my soul-searching approach to the art of love and madness. The strong female protagonist, Evelyn in Taylor Jenkins Reid's The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, is reminiscent of my main character, Layla Santiago, who encounters so much and hides it all so well. At 18 years old, Layla navigates her way to unconditional love through her own words after the ending of a toxic relationship with the first female she ever loved, her mother. Throughout her adult life, 
In order to keep the patterns of her mother's bipolar disorder at bay, she must continue to find safe grounding and zen through music and yoga. While ignoring the signs, for a while the aspiring author thinks she has it all under control, until she meets a love interest that makes her question all of her growth and principles. Soon deceit arises in their relationship, forcing her back into a closet of shame and insanity. In order to leave it all behind, Layla moves away, introducing new adventures and new desires into her life. When it all takes a drastic turn, she'll have to decide what's truly important, love or her life, literally. The words in this book speak from the heart of me. My life started in the dark corners of an abusive home, and then at the age of 18, I entered into an abusive relationship with the father of my children. I have taken all of those materials and found my place in the psychology degree program at San Antonio College. Every day, I continue to grow as a writer through creative writing masterclasses on Udemy. And my meditation teacher's certificate helps me learn and keep the ways of a peaceful warrior. I appreciate all your wonderful ladies and the desire to hold space for me in my query. Sincerely, Hillary. Awesome. Thank you, Cece. Okay, Carly, what did you think of that query letter? So this for me was a query letter that seemed based a lot more on feelings than it did on plot. And for me, that's one of my main concerns. The point of the book is to pitch me, right? And I'll get all these feelings later when I read the book, but I don't like to be pitched feelings. I like to be pitched plot because when I'm pitching a book, I don't pitch feelings. I pitch plot, right? That's very important to me. I think that there, there are a lot of good things happening here. One of the lines I really loved was after the ending of a toxic relationship with the first female she ever loved, her mother, I thought that was really really sweet, just kind of a connection of like love and her mother herself. But ultimately it was very passive. I, I didn't really feel like we were in the action so much as being told about the action. And that's just important for me in general. The comp section was a little bit wordy. I would just really simplify that. And again, don't tell me why the comp matters. Just tell me what the comps are, because when I read it, I'll connect the dots about the comps, right? That's part of my job as the agent. Some important things to keep, I think, are my life started in the dark corners of an abusive home. And then at the age of 18, I entered into an abusive relationship with the father of my children. I think that's a really nice thing to keep in there important to kind of explain why you are you know, coming to this project the way that you are. So I think this might be an example of a pitch that might just need a bit of a rewrite. I also thought it was a bit short. 51,000 words is a little bit on the short side for contemporary, even if you get it to 70, but like that's adding 20 more thousand words, which is a lot. So I have a lot of questions about this one. Is it ready? Is it done? Is it complete? Because sometimes wordy queries also make me think that the author doesn't know what their book is about. And so the fact that this is short and the fact that it's wordy makes me think that we might just not be ready. We might not be at the right stage. And it could just be we're not at the query itself, just needs some work. But that's a sign to me usually that the project might not be ready. What's the shortest in terms of word length book that you've sold that's contemporary fiction? Carly? Barely under 80,000 words, maybe 78,000. I don't I don't even know if I, in adults, like I think I've probably sold a YA contemporary that's about 75,000. But in adults, I don't think I've sold anything under 78. Yeah, because I think what 50,000 is considered novella, isn't it? I don't think it falls into novel. Yeah, I think territory. when I think novella, I think 40 to 50. Yeah, when I think novella. Okay. Uh, Cece, what were your thoughts on that? I echo all of Carly's critiques. When I read this, <laughs> my notes on the margin says, the plot paragraph is all emotion. I don't actually understand what happens. Is this intentional? And I, I read it twice and I kept thinking, I assumed for a second, and this was you know me just being dumb because the author does tell us that this is a novel, but I was like, maybe this is a memoir because I've seen this happen in memoir before because it's our own lives. 
you know, you have all these emotions that you're, that you're excited to pour out. And so y- you end up writing a query letter that's all feelings. If you go through each sentence of the first paragraph dedicated to plot, I don't know what happens other than her leaving, meeting a love interest, and there's a drastic turn. And it, you, maybe someone's thinking, well, no, but that, that is plot, right? Like she leaves. But no, because you can't tell me things like, for example... Layla moves away, introducing new adventures and new desires into her lives. What, 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 what adventures, what desires? How, how is this escalating the tension? Is this leading to a climax? Is there going to be a resolution? I don't even know what there is to be resolved other than your emotions. And I emotionality is super important. But one of the reasons why I always mention we need more emotion, we need more emotion, we need more emotion is because typically with the the stuff I've seen is authors tend to get that you need a story. They tend to get that you need this person met this person, that conflict ensued. This is what's at stake. Not everyone gets weaving emotion into that. But this person has it like almost the other way around. She has all the emotions or, or they have all the emotions. I don't know this person's gender, but then they don't have the, the plot. So like Carly said, maybe it's just not ready. Or maybe you do have the plot and you're just like writing query letters sucks because it does. It's awful. It's like pulling teeth. I totally get it. And maybe somebody could help you with this, right? Like maybe like a critique partner who's good at writing pitch copy. Helpful tip to authors. Your friends who work in marketing, even if they don't work in book marketing, can help. Take them out for coffee, virtual coffee, maybe if you're in lockdown and then pick their brain. I don't know. Like read the pitch copy at the back of the book and go from there, I'd say. Awesome. Thanks, Cece. Carly, what did you think of the opening pages? I thought this was going to be a little bit more commercial, but then it kind of started off more literary. So then I was quite confused about tone and kind of how we were coming into this because we start with a bit of, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a poem or an epigraph, something like that at the top. And then we understand that, you know, someone's drunk and there's some sort of like altercation possibly happening. So one of my, one of my concerns, yes, is the tone. Is it commercial? Is it literary? Another one of my concerns was the use of punctuation. You know, sometimes when people are overusing question marks or italics or exclamation marks, it should be the words doing the work, not the punctuation doing the work. And the punctuation should be very, very sparse. And I feel like there was a lot of like leaning on punctuation to do a lot of work where that to me just signals, you know, somebody's just trying to feel their way through their writing process and, and they think that's the best way to probably tell the story. But I'm just letting you know that, you know, put the emphasis on the words, not the punctuation. That will do a lot. Other than that, you know, I felt like I wasn't sure what age everybody was. I kind of wanted to get a better sense of people's ages because because the kind of opening section, the character, again, not sure who's drunk at this point here, but it says, oh, I'm Layla, you know, and I thought, oh, is that because she's drunk? This character's talking in this like stilted way to the reader, or is it a little bit childish? Or is it because the character is young? I just couldn't really figure all that out. So I ultimately just had a lot of questions about category, tone, age, things like that. So yeah, I, again, I just feel like maybe this project wasn't quite ready. Doesn't mean like it's never going to get there. It just means I think that maybe I, I'm seeing this page a little too early. Awesome. Thanks, Carly. Cece, what did you think? Agree. 100% agree. And please, 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 author, if you're listening to us, if this resonates with you, please remove all the exclamation marks, literally all of them. We don't need any of them. Your writing is doing the work. The punctuation does not have to do the work. I agree with Carly on that. So here's the thing. The query letter tells us that she's 18 years old, right? And then I agree. I had no idea what this person's age was as I was reading. There is a line that says, five years ago, I would have fallen for this charade. 
I also had no idea what this thing looked like at eight. So then by the math, she's 13, but there's no way she's 13 because she wouldn't have gotten in the back of a cop car to be led away and to leave her life, right? Because if she's a child, if she's 13, she's a child, they would have to call social services. So I am very confused about her age. Also, is it intentional that we don't know what the fight is about? And I'm coming from this with with a lot of, of empathy and personal experience. The thing about bipolar disorder in parents is that it affects the children in a way that your child becomes your almost like a barometer of your mental health issue. You start to realize triggers and patterns and you start to theorize about what set them off, even though what set them off isn't actually what it's about. It's a mental health issue, of course. But she just seemed so focused on the fact that, you know, her mom was sick and her mom was being horrible to her, which is absolutely true. But I think that if she is 13, or even if she's a little bit older than 13, then probably what she would be doing is figuring out how to de-escalate and figuring out what caused it. And again, the fight is already happening. So maybe it would be counterproductive to be thinking of the cause. But I I do think that's realistic for her to be thinking, oh, so for example, let's say that, I don't know, what, what triggered it was leaving a teapot on the counter. She's not supposed to. Maybe she's thinking to herself, why did I leave that teapot on the counter? These things matter because they add layers, not only to the emotionality, but to the reversal of roles that's probably occurring in this house. She is most likely a parentified child. So I think that understanding the way that this one mental health issue, like her mom has bipolar, is actually creating all these other ripple effects is really important for the plot. Again, if this is a novel, right? I'm wondering whether this isn't almost like a journal slash memoir, because it's It's all emotion right now. So my big thing to the author, and I think that Carly and I are on the same page about this, but would be take a step back and imagine that you're writing a screenplay. Seriously, pretend like this is a screenplay. You don't get to be inside someone's head. Then write it out like a screenplay. Write it, write out all the dialogue tags, action beats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then add the emotion. And that exercise might help, hopefully, a tip. Awesome. Thanks, Cece. And this again comes down to that whole show versus tell thing as well that we keep discussing. In the course that I recently taught, I compared showing to there being a CCTV camera that also records sounds and telling is like an eyewitness. It's an eyewitness account. Somebody is just relaying information that they saw as opposed to allowing the reader to become the CCTV camera that is watching everything unfold, who's hearing everything unfold, and then they can reach their own conclusion without the filtered lens of that eyewitness account. So definitely something to keep in mind there. Okay, we're moving on now to our third query letter, which I will read. Dear Bianca, Carly, and Cecilia, Redacted is a contemporary own voices YA romance completed 84,000 words. Told through an unapologetically feminist and anti-ableist lens, this dual POV narrative will appeal to fans of Perfect on Paper, Felix Ever After, and the Heartstopper series. The full manuscript is currently under consideration by several agents. Hopeless romantic Charlotte relies on fate to make decisions for her. But after her BFF faces torment for fully stepping into their queerness, Charlotte can no longer afford to let the universe solve her problems. Instead, she barks on a secret mission to affirm her bisexuality. No one can know, not even her BFF, not until she's certain. Adolescence isn't a smooth ride for artsy skateboarder Zoe either, as she navigates insufferable classmates, 
bad grades and financial struggles. When her online crush, Charlotte, suddenly ghosts her, Zoe escapes the city and moves in with her bookstore-owning aunt. No more opening up to people, no more heartbreak, a flawless plan. But thanks to her troublemaker reputation, the merciless small-town principal imposes academic probation and mandatory socializing. Grudgingly, Zoe joins a club, the name of which has been redacted in the query letter, and promptly runs into the still-closeted Charlotte kissing a boy. Under the watchful gaze of their fellow prom committee members, the girls must grapple with the fact that taking a chance on each other and on themselves will be the only way to claim their truth. I'm a queer award-winning photographer from Germany. Through my previous work in the children and YA section of my local indie bookstore, I experienced the joy of advocating for meaningful stories. I hope Redacted sparks the same feeling in you. Thank you for your time and consideration. Please find below the first five pages of the manuscript as per your submission guidelines. Warmest regards, a loyal podcast listener. Okay, Carly, would you like to tell us what you thought of that query letter? I really liked the opening setup here. Unapologetically feminist and anti-ableist lens, love all that. Dual POV, great. I like being told that off the top. I haven't read Perfect on Paper or Heartstopper, but I have read Felix Ever After, and it is so, so, so good. I really like that comp. And I thought this next paragraph was great. One of the paragraphs sets up Charlotte, and the next paragraph sets up Zoe. The one thing that I always come back to with dual POV queries is that we do have to learn about the two individual voices, but the actual kind of climax stakes and hurdles, we also have to kind of come to a, like, why does this book matter as a whole? You know what I mean? Even though we're getting these two storylines. So I like to have a hook that really summarizes the whole story, not the two separate stories, or else it kind of feels really separate to me. And I'm not really understanding, you know, what we're actually working towards in terms of, obviously we have the theme of, you know, the the sexuality in terms of the teens, you know, figuring out a lot about their self-identity, which is great, but we got to sum that up to, you know, what is the point of this book kind of thing. And so I thought we could have just been a little bit stronger at that. But otherwise, I thought it was quite strong. The only other thing I I made a note of in the margin here now that I'm looking is it feels like Charlotte is the protagonist more so than Zoe, because obviously we start with Charlotte in in the query letter and all of this seems to be based around Charlotte. So I don't know, I'm a little bit confused on if this is a balance, like fully dual POV and whose story is this again. So that's why I think like an overarching hook line would really help us kind of pull this together. Awesome. Thanks, Carly. Cece, what did you think? I want to commend the author for like getting so much information across in 289 or maybe 98, I forgot already, words. Like it was really impressive. And that includes like the signature, her pronouns, everything. So it's it's great that you were able to, to be so succinct and we appreciate it. I thought it was very well written, very organized. I again wrote the same notice, Carly, on the margin. I said, okay, so what's the hook though? I absolutely get the plot. You did a great job of telling me inciting incident. Here's how their stories come together. This is what's going to happen. Like with the prom planning committee, I'm pretty sure. And then, but I'm like, okay, but then what's the thing that's going to make me keep on reading other than their great characterization? I will say that I don't rep YA. And so maybe it's just me not being well-versed in the genre. But typically, I think if you're going for romance and commercial fiction, like I don't think that character is quite enough. You do want like the plot to also be the glue that's keeping everything together. So 
I don't know. You you can afford to add a couple of lines because you have the word count space. So maybe a couple of lines would fix it. Wonderful. Thanks, Cece. Okay, Carly, diving into those opening pages, what did you think of those? So I would have liked to be grounded a little bit more in the place and the scene and get a much better sense of exactly where we are. I think we have like an attempt at that. You know, we have a, a sunlit main street. There is a spelling error on the first line. Uh, it says sunlight when I think it should be sunlit. But yeah, I, I just wanted like a little bit more of a sense of like where we are. Main street can be like main street anywhere. So I almost wish it wasn't called main street. Like it was called like Juniper Street or something. The next part gets into them going to a candy store. And that felt really young to me. I mean, I'm an adult who loves candy. So I don't say that anybody is too old for candy. But in terms of like when you're trying to place a child, you know, a teenager in the space and time continuum, them going to the store to get candy felt like young. So that was my one note. It just seemed like maybe that should be a bit older in that sense. I, I see a couple of rhetorical questions. So I would say cut those out. I really thought it was cute that they go to the shop and the, the owner, Bakari, you know, talk to them like, like grandchildren. I thought that was really, really sweet. This like little relationship between the shop owner and the kids. I thought that was really great. But yeah, other than that, I don't have a lot of notes. I don't think we're really getting to the conflict fast enough. Like I didn't really have any problem with the pages. It was more, I think we just need to figure out why we're here, why we're reading this book. You know, I think we have a lot of interesting things happening. We just got to get to the conflict a little bit faster. That would be my my main note and try to ground us in seeing a little bit more. The thing with YA is it's very visceral and emotional dramatic because being a teen is dramatic. So I think we could just do a little bit more with feelings in a way that also gets to the plot quicker because in YA, the plot and the feelings are the same almost, right? And then what gets in the way of the plot is our feelings usually. So we just have to figure out where we are in that balance. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of work to be done in terms of getting to that plot faster. But but yeah, there's a lot of awesome things here and and I think the characters are really sweet and uh, I would love to get to know them. Lovely. Thanks, Carly. Okay, Cece, let's have your thoughts? There's a lot that's working here really well. So for example, right from the very first paragraph, I know that she knows something, the protagonist, Charlotte, she knows something that the other person doesn't, that the other person's Alex, right? Like there's a scheme, she has a crush or, and you know, she's secret scheme to impress my crush. So it, it works, clear stakes, the crush, obviously it means so much to a teenager. She has a plan. She's keeping a secret. There's also a line in the following paragraph that says, people always accuse teenagers of being sneaky. This will be my first and only time I'm living up to the hype, I promise. And I wrote on the margin, please break the promise. Like, I want you to continue being sneaky. It's interesting. It makes me like you even more. I am attracted to these kinds of characters, right? Like, that's just my taste. And it is very much a taste thing. So the writing is really, really, really strong. We were always in scene. It was voicey. There's a part where she says, here's the thing. The world knows me by three names. My full name, which is Charlotte, and Lottie, which is what my friends call me. But there's a third one I haven't told anyone about, not even my best friend. And then we do get more on that, right? It's not just like the teasing. So it's just very, very, very strong very believable. I can just, I can see teenagers acting this way. My one note, and I want the author to know that I'm coming from a place of all the empathy in the world when I say this, is that I got a little bit of white savior vibes from Charlotte. So there's a part where Bakari, who's the shop owner, says, Alex is blessed to have friends like you. And then there's another part where Charlotte says, Charlotte's just buying Alex things and says, it's the least I can do. I'd buy them 300 spoons, baking trays, and oven mitts if it made them happy. Anything to propel this future master chef on their journey to culinary stardom. And then she does add, and this is good, anything to dispel my guilt 
with their smile, which is the reason why I say this is good is because you also do want to bring it to your guilt, right? And so it's also about you making yourself feel better. And that kind of awareness is really, really important because A, it's believable. Two, you're doing the heavy lifting of digging into your character's emotions. It's not necessarily something that's a problem. It could just be my read. But I would urge you to perhaps take a look at those pages and maybe wonder if you could just frame this in a different way. A very smart person once told me that it's important not to let a secondary's character trauma propel the story forward. And I know that this is not what the story's about based on the query letter, but you might want to reconsider that on the very first pages, just because I got weird vibes when I read it. And again, it might just be me, but if that's not the intention, then maybe reconsider. And then just to let you know what we've got coming up, Carly and Cece will be running a webinar called Writing the Perfect First Five Pages, and that will be on the 15th of July at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Just to tell you a bit more about the course, literary agents are tasked with recognizing great books quickly, which is why the importance of the first five pages of a story cannot be overestimated. No matter the genre, the perfect five pages will draw your readers in from the very start and compel them to read on. If you would like to learn more about what the webinar will entail, head to Carly and Cece's Instagram pages where you can get more information and where you'll be able to register. Just a few other things before we go into today's guest segment. CC is available for one-on-one meetings and written critiques via Manuscript Academy. You can search for that on manuscriptacademy.com, Cecilia Lira. Manuscript Academy is a year-round online writers conference and you can make an appointment with CC for her to take a look at your first 10 pages, discuss your work, whatever the case may be is. I have various courses that will be coming up. Please go to my website, biancamaray.com to have a look at that schedule and to make any bookings. I'll be tackling different elements of craft and doing deep dives into them over sessions that run for three hours. These sessions will be taped so you will be able to watch them even if you aren't in the Eastern time zone. And then finally, we have started a Kofi page. There are a lot of costs associated with running a podcast besides the time taken to do all the interviews, etc., etc. So if you are able to make a donation to us there at Kofi, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find the link on my Twitter profile or on my Instagram page or have a look on the website under biancamaray.com under the podcast section. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. 
Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words. So you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one month language course. Think about the cost of one hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June, with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Today's guest grew up in Kansas City, later moving to the Pacific Northwest where the mountains and Puget Sound became home. Beyond writing, she loves to run, rock climb and explore the great outdoors with her daughter and husband. When holding still, which isn't often, you'll find a book in her hand and a cat or dog or both in her lap. She writes suspense and thriller and is the host of Hashtag Moms Writers Club. It's my pleasure to welcome Jessica Payne. Jessica, welcome to the show. It's so lovely to get to chat to you after we've been chatting a bit on Twitter over the last while. Hi, Bianca. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we begin with you telling us what the Moms Writers Club is? and why you started it. Sure. So Moms Writers Club is a group of moms on Twitter, and we come together as a community to talk about writing and about being moms. And it has just grown um, really quickly. I kind of started it by accident, actually. (laughs) About a year ago, I was writing a lot. um, And as a newer mom, felt kind of isolated sometimes. And my daughter was often getting up at night and I was getting up very early to take care of her. And I was aware that there's this club called the 5am Writers Club. And I was a bit envious of them because I really wanted a group that I could chat with like that, post my update with my hashtag, that sort of thing. 
So I kind of just threw a post up saying, Hey, I sure wish we had something for moms like this. And that post blew up. And I, I didn't know there were so many mom writers out there. So it kind of inspired me to get something going and it's grown from there. So now we are a community of writers. We post just using the hashtag in our everyday tweets. We have a chat we do every other Wednesday. And I should add that there are more than just moms in there. We also have an uncle and a couple dads. Basically, we accept anyone who's respectful and kind, but we are primarily moms. And, you know, I just think we face different challenges than people who are not mothers. And we try to include that in our community. Absolutely. Because I don't have children, but I find it difficult sometimes to write. And that's without any distraction, without anyone whose life depends on my care and my (laughs) attention. And even, you know, for me, I find that life gets busy and it's difficult to write. And I always think about moms. I wonder how they do it, especially mothers of really young children who aren't sleeping through the night. It's so difficult to be creative when you're tired, when you're groggy, when, you know, you're feeling drained. Definitely. No, I totally agree. And I'm I'm laughing as you're speaking because my daughter is literally screaming in the background. right now. But no, it is hard. I think for a lot of us, it is in some ways an escape from feeling drained, but at the same time, it it is creative work and it has its own challenges. And being a mom means that you're trying to do those well, as you said, keeping someone else alive. Just during COVID, I've realized how difficult it is to create when emotionally or physically drained. I mean, it's not that COVID has been physically draining for me personally. I'm very lucky in that way that I'm able to just stay home and, and work from home. But all the stress around it and worrying about it and and all these other ways in which it's impacted on my life and therefore it impacts on my creativity. So very much for mothers, you know, if you think about the things that come with motherhood, like postpartum depression, et cetera, there's so many challenges. And then to try and sit down and make shit up, which is, you know, how (laughs) I refer to writing is incredibly difficult because what reserves are you drawing on for that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think COVID hit everyone hard. I I know as a mother, it has been hard because I'm staying at home with my daughter right now, but what do you do with a two-year-old when you can't leave the house? And we do a lot of things outside, but it's Texas here, which means it's over 90 to hundred degrees a lot of the time. But yeah, I think you make a great point that it really can sap a lot of your creative reserves. So trying to find that energy uh, in addition to being a mother can be a challenge at times. I think that that is something a lot of our members deal with, but I also think that we kind of inspire each other to keep going as well, despite that. Yeah, community is so important. Regulars who listen to the podcast will know that I recently did two rounds of writing group matchmaking because I feel so passionately about writers having a sense of community because so much of it is just us sitting by ourselves, working by ourselves, talking to our imaginary friends, dealing with all these challenges and peripheral people in our life kind of just look at us sitting, staring at a page and they think we're doing nothing. You know, they don't understand the challenges of it. So surrounding yourself with people who understand what you're going through, who know the challenges you face, who understand the demands on your time and what you're trying to do 
It's so, so important. So you've done that, but you've even taken it to the next level. So it's not just a community for people who write. It's specifically for a group of people who write, but have all these additional challenges as well. And and I'm not surprised at all that it took off because something that we love more than anything in this world is to feel seen and to feel yeah. heard and to feel like somebody understands what we're going through. No, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's so important to have that community around you. I thought it was fantastic that you did the, the critique group matchup. So many people have been excited about that. So I think it's great you're giving back to the community in that way. As far as Moms Writers Club, yeah, it's it has. I've seen many close friendships come of it. One of my best friends I met through it. And we are also critique partners now. And so I I should give a little more background. We, my family and I moved to Texas literally three days before the city shut down due to COVID. So um, my husband's in the military. So it was kind of extra isolating because I really didn't know anyone. And I feel like the community with Moms Writers Club has kind of saved me as far as making friends, but also writing friends. And I think that it is invaluable during your writing journey. Definitely, because, you know, when my husband and I moved from South Africa to Toronto in 2012, when we arrived in Toronto, we didn't know anybody. We had never been to Canada before to move across the world and you're starting all over again. And I must be honest that most of my friends that I now have came from my writing classes, from meeting other writers in these classes, and then building up that sense of community through that. So yes, it's a wonderful way to make new friends and find support system. Yeah, totally. That's a big move. Yeah, yeah, that was that was quite a big move. We're really lucky that it worked out. It could have gone the other way. I mean, when you pack up your suitcases and move across the world without ever having visited that country once before and not knowing anybody there and arriving with four animals and four suitcases, it's it is a bit of a oh challenge. Gosh. I really um, admire you for that. And I'm going to stop whining right now about all my military news. Not at all. I um, yeah. I think it must be that much harder to move quite often. And like you say, to arrive somewhere and as the place shuts down. For me, if I hadn't had my creative writing classes and if I hadn't got out to meet people, I don't know what I would have done. And here you are shut inside. You can't be going out and meeting people the usual way. So incredibly challenging. And you were very creative in finding that community. Oh, well, thank you. I feel like it kind of, oh gosh, this, this probably sounds really corny, but I feel like it kind of found me because I really didn't expect it to become what it has, but I also feel very lucky that it has. Yeah. You obviously struck a chord with that tweet. You know, there were people yeah. out there who desperately needed something and they didn't know what they needed until you verbalized it. And then they were like, yep, that's what I need. So <laughs> give me, give me some examples of the things that you all do together. Yeah. You said that you have all these things on Twitter, et cetera. Give me some examples of that. Sure. So we just chat a lot on Twitter every day. You know, you post something on Twitter and you use the hashtags and mom's writers club with an S after the mom and the writer has become uh, pretty popular. You can find a lot of moms who are writers by doing a search for that or by using that. Every other Wednesday, I host a chat and we kind of just discuss different parts of writing and also being a mom. I try to find a balance between us, you know, talking as mothers, but I think we also sometimes don't want to talk about the mom stuff. We want to just be writers in that moment. So trying to find that good balance. And then we recently started something new that was honestly very scary to start. We started a YouTube channel 
which is something I would have never thought in a million years I would do. But my friend, Sarah, uh, we, well, the two of us both recently became agented and we really wanted to find another way to give back to the community. And we felt like there was more that we could do with Moms Writers Club, just being able to talk directly to moms and with them other than like a 280 character tweet. So uh, we've been working on that and that's been really exciting. And I'm, I'm hoping people are finding benefit from it, but trying to go a little more in depth with some of the topics uh, around being a mom and a writer, like mom guilt, for example, is a big thing, which I never understood until I was a mom and, you know, making sure that you're taking the time for yourself to write things like that. Um, so that's all we've done so far. We have also chatted about doing a, like a mom's writers club writing retreat and then COVID hit. Maybe in the future we will be doing that or meeting up at a conference. Oh, the other thing we do is we do critique partner matches. We do that every few months and it's just part of one of our Wednesday discussions. And then lastly, we do pitch practice. So before an event like PitMad or DV Pit, people take turns posting their pitches and get feedback on it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, the mom guilt is huge. My friends who are mothers, they just take five minutes for themselves and they feel so guilty about it. And I always say to them, you cannot give anything from an empty tank. You are so right. <laughs> you you know, you can only give to others if you have a full tank. And when that tank is depleted, there is nothing left for anybody else around you. And there's nothing left for yourself, in which case everybody loses. So the more you fill up that tank and take care of yourself, the more you're able to look after other people. And that's incredibly important. And, you know, women in general, like whether they're moms or not, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot about all kinds of things. We tend to feel responsible about all kinds of things. We take on so much and that all takes away from our ability to give us ourselves permission to take some time for ourselves to sit down and do this thing that we love doing. Absolutely. And I could not have worded it better. I actually, I was kind of smiling as you said that because one of our YouTube videos that Sarah and I did was talking about that, talking about mom guilt and giving yourself permission. And, and the fact that just because you are a mom does not mean that you are not also a creative person. And the idea that as a mom, that all of our energy should be put into a mom and we should be the perfect mom. And the reality is it's well, one, just not possible. And two, like you still have the right to be a human being, even though you're a mom and you can do, you know, a good job at being both. And I would go so far as to say, it's a good thing for your children to see you being passionate about something and setting that example. And for my daughter, I want her to see me working on something that I'm passionate about. And that's me giving her permission to be passionate about something as she gets older. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's inspiring for children to see their parents finding these things that they love doing and seeing the joy that they derive from that. And it, it inspires them to go out and find the things that they love doing and that they're particularly good at. So this notion that mothers have to be completely and utterly selfless and there for everybody else all the time and never for themselves, you know, I think that's dangerous and I think it's, it's harmful. And I love that you're talking about that and that you're addressing it, you know, and starting up those conversations because these are conversations women need to be having. I, I agree. And thank you. I'm glad that I get to kind of put this out here for people to realize that these conversations are happening and you are invited. Yeah. I love that you are inclusive to other people who aren't necessarily moms. I love that there's your uncles and, and a dad or two there as well, because, you know, they may not be moms, but everybody's circumstances are different. How, how people parent, how people partner can be very different. And I think 
sometimes men can be left out of that loop because as women, we're also naturally inclusive and we're so naturally supportive of one another. And we'll reach out when we need help. And we are quick to realize when our friends are floundering and we're quick to give that emotional support. And I think sometimes men, I don't feel like dads necessarily have these conversations or reach out when they need the help. So I think it is a great resource to know that there are people like you out there who, if they are also struggling, they can join with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. We try really hard to be inclusive. I am a nurse by um, training, by education, and I have seen caregivers from all walks of life, moms, dads, grandparents, everyone is welcome. As long as you are a kind, respectful person, I know that it's not just moms that are taking care of the kids. And we are moms writers club because most of us are moms and we kind of direct that way so far as some of our topics, but absolutely you, everyone's invited. So if somebody wants to join, I mean, there's no form they fill out. There's no application process. How do you suggest they go about joining this vast network? And can I just say something that I love seeing on Twitter is how the moms all follow each other on Twitter and they boost each other's posts. And, you know, you just see that amazing support coming through in terms of when there are pitch wars, they retweeting each other's pitches, which gives it more visibility, et cetera. Yeah. So it's just amazing support across the board. So so how would yeah. somebody go about becoming a part of it? So we are pretty low key. There's no official membership form. You can join literally just by using our hashtag. It's M-O-M-S-W-R-I-T-E-R-S-C. C-L-U-B, the hashtag, of course. And then there's, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at author just pain. And my pinned tweet is always when our next chat is our next Wednesday night chat. You can also go to my website and you can find more information there. And my website is jessicapain.net and you will see a link for mom's writers club in the top right corner. And if you click on that, you can find more information, but literally you just jump in and you're a member. There's no uh, test. <laughs> and and what time on Wednesday evenings? Which time zone? What time for those who are interested? Yeah, it's at 8 p.m. Central Time as of right now. There may be a little bit of a shift this summer because I have a move coming up and I have to kind of coordinate with my daughter's bedtime. But right now it's every other Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. I would definitely recommend going to my Twitter to see when the next one is. I tried to do like a first and third weekend, but there are some months that have, I think, five Wednesdays. Anyway, it's just every other Wednesday. So just check the tweet and you can see when the next one is. And where will they find your YouTube channel if they want to watch that? Yeah. So I don't actually, as of the time of this recording, I um, don't actually have that exact link. But you, if you go to my website, I will definitely link you to it. And again, that is Jessica Payne, P-A-Y-N-E dot net. Wonderful. Well, Jessica, it's been such a delight chatting with you. Thanks for taking the time. I know that as a mom, all your time is precious and the time you've spent speaking to me could have been time that you were writing. So I'm going to send you off now, bum and chair to write or do whatever you have to do. And just congratulations on what you're doing. It's you providing a wonderful, wonderful service. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on to chat about it. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at the shit about writing at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Here's the thing.
Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who is in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com slash course. Use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who is in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. 
Don't forget there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com slash course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com slash course. Use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.